Diamond Answer Man, Episode 9. What to do when you want to sell. Welcome to the Diamond Answer Man Show, where our goal is to help each other learn more about the world of diamonds and feel confident about our purchases, those purchases that help memorialize our special moments, whether they be engagements or anniversaries, and even at this time of year, maybe graduations. You may reach me at diamondanswerman.com. You can leave me a voicemail message through the site. You may call me at 803-792-1326. I'll look forward to how I can help you and, of course, how we can help each other. Well, welcome to this week's show. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what to do when you want to sell. And there are many reasons, and I want to say positive reasons, for you to want to sell an unwanted piece of jewelry, diamonds and jewelry that have no positive emotional value, or history may be a reasonable source of expendable cash. But uh, how do you go about selling that item? And unfortunately, I should say fortunately and fortunately, because anytime we learn something, we grow from that. And in this case, you're going to need to, do, need to do a little bit of research. So that means you might need to get out from behind this computer or uh, get away from this, uh, this phone that, uh, or whatever it is you're listening to this broadcast on and uh, go out and actually meet people. And that may mean, and I should welcome you, I am welcoming you into the jewelry business. If you have a jewelry item you're going to sell, you are now a jewelry salesperson. Like it or not, you'll have fun. So I want you to think about all the different avenues each company or business or person goes through to develop a strong brand, right? A brand and how they develop that brand is how you're going to, on a small scale, do the same thing. You want to be able to sell this item for the most amount of money you can. And you are going to have to sell it and and build your reputation at the same time to be able to garner that return. And that really depends on which avenue you take. So uh, I believe that there are five different avenues that you can look at when you're going to want to sell something. And most of them, except for the last one, require you to be the salesperson. So we're going to go through these uh, different avenues you can take, and um, I want you to have a realistic expectation first before we get started. You're probably going to have an appraisal, or maybe you don't. I mean, if you do, this is where I think you're going to be starting off with. If you have an appraisal, a lot of times people think that appraisals are what they should be able to sell it for if it's appraised at that value, sort of like a home. And unfortunately, jewelry appraisals are not the same thing. Jewelry, jewelry appraisals are for like-kind replacement in most cases. That means if you have a loss, so let's say there was an accident and you lost an engagement ring and you went to your insurance company and you had supplied your insurance company with the documentation and appraisal, maybe the receipts and all the information that went with this uh, piece of jewelry, and you wanted to get in a replacement, um, or you were going to file a claim with them, then what they generally will do is work with your jeweler or a, uh, a contracted dealer that they work with, and they don't usually cash you out. And if they do, they only cash you out at the value, or I should say, at the um, their cost, meaning that they will generally negotiate with your jeweler and uh, they have a pre-negotiated price at which they're willing to pay for both labor and costs and all those kinds of things. And then they pay your jeweler directly or they pay this uh, contracted dealer directly and they have a pre-negotiated value. What they'll do is if you can negotiate a cash out, 
Most contracts don't have that. But if you can negotiate a contract, they'll go ahead and cash you out at whatever they would be able to buy it for. And, and insurance companies are big companies. So we're talking about companies that have millions and millions and millions of dollars they spend each year doing replacements. So when you have a jewelry replacement, they're going to do business with people they've done business with before in volume. So at rates that most people cannot buy at. So where they would be buying something generally, um, even at, at times at back from what the wholesale value might be for a standard jewelry store, because they, a regular jewelry store can't buy the bulk or the quantity that an insurance company may be able to buy at. So they'll cash you out at whatever they can replace that. So an appraisal is used, right, to make you whole in the event that you have a loss. It's not what you're going to be able to sell it for. Again, not like a home appraisal or a home appraisal would be near to what or roughly what you should be able to sell it for. This appraisal should also reflect a price at or near what your purchase price unless there was some unique situation. The cost of gold went up. When they made the ring, it was one price, and now you've purchased it, and they had to increase the appraisal, or the appraisal was increased by the appraiser over what you paid for it, because gold has gone so high. So if you bought it a few years back, and you uh, go ahead and appraise it, uh, appraised it today, it may be higher. Again, your insurance company is going to go to their contracted dealer or their contracted jeweler and get a replacement. So... An appraisal is used to insure your item, and it's used to identify your your diamond or your jewelry, uh, and it's not a figure or estimate of what your liquidation would be. So that's replacing new. What you have, now if it's something you've purchased, or if it's something you've received as a gift, or if it's something you've inherited, what you have is an item that's previously worn or previously owned, and it's no longer new. So even if you were going to kind of get an idea based upon what, uh, even if you made the assumption that you had an appraisal, an appraisal is generally based on a new item, a new like kind replacement. What you would have is a previously owned or previously worn item. And uh, so you have to look at the conditions the item may be in. And then you also have that emotional component. An emotional component may be a positive or a negative when you go to resale something uh, in in that third sale situation. So you have to look at the condition. It may be in poor condition or it may be new mint in box. But even if it's still mint in box, it's still previously owned when it's contemporary and will return less than what you would have purchased it for. Um, jewelry and diamonds that return at or greater than an original purchase price are items that would have a word that we can attach to them called provenance. And that's an item that may have been worn by someone famous or made by a specialty designer or during a special period, right? So there's usually something that goes with that. It was featured in something. A photograph was taken and, and you saw the star wearing this exact item or it was worn by some famous president or 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 the the first lady uh, wore this piece or some king or queen has or duke or duchess has worn this item and you have it documented in some way and that item could return a greater value than maybe if we had to make one again today or you were going to buy one other items that don't necessarily have provenance but will garner a better amount they still will receive a reduction over a brand new price um, but those are items that have high you know uh, demands certain brands have a very high demand and the market is great because everyone has heard of who this brand is and this brand will uh, return a greater amount still not a new but a greater amount than if it is a generic in that same line. So kind of ideas we get in that would be Cartier or Tiffany, uh, Harry Winston. Brands like that will return a greater amount than uh, if you just bought a an exact duplicate, even though there's copyright and, and trademark violations you can have there. If you bought one that was made just like a Cartier ring, there are rings out there that are similar to the rolling rings that you see in Cartier. But if you go to resale, 
you know, you own this piece, you go to sell it, and you go to sell the rolling rings, and you try to sell that item, it's going to have a greater reduction compared to the uh, price that you would have had if you had the Cartier ring, because the Cartier has a specific brand, and people will be drawn to that to a greater degree than one that is a generic. So what are your avenues? Well, first, I think probably the, the, the number one avenue people think about if you're going online, right? I, I know everybody's thinking this right now. If you go online, what do you see? You see eBay, all right? So eBay is a place you can go to to sell your jewelry or diamond. And uh, one of the things you want to think about before you go in to selling on eBay, especially when you're talking about diamonds and jewelry, is that you're going to have to put in quite a bit of time. You're going to want to build your brand on this eBay page that you're going to create, and that's going to take a serious investment by you. Uh, you're going to need to make sure that you have the monies available to create this listing and uh, whatever extra added features you put into it, uh, you're going to have to go through a whole trust building uh, uh, experience. And that means you're going to have to probably uh, have lots of communication with people. Uh, you're going to you're going to really have to make sure that you have some sort of a, a third party laboratory report in a lot of cases if you want to get a better return on what it is you're selling. You'll also want to make sure that you have an appraisal with it. And that appraisal, all of those things should be tied together. So you're going to want to make sure you build a beautiful page, have a beautiful listing. It's still going to be a hard sale, even if you have all of those things and you have lots and lots and lots of communication and you've developed your brand because in most cases, and I think most people have probably never sold jewelry items or diamond items on eBay. It's not their business. So even if you sold other things such as crafts and and uh, I've I myself have sold jewelry online, but in a personal way, I've sold other things like CDs and those kinds of things on eBay. But in a business sense, I have sold uh, diamonds and jewelry online, and it takes time to build that brand and that image. And, and, and it took me a while to get very successful at that. Now, it was in years past, but it took a long time, almost, almost six months to a year to really develop a strong, strong brand where uh, people were willing to pay an amount that I felt was reasonable for what I was listing things for. So it's going to be a hard sale. You need to develop your ability to garner trust. That's through communication. Uh, you may need, if you're going to keep the sale local, to meet the person again to build trust. Or what you're going to need to do is tip that risk balance way over in favor of the buyer. That's, of course, if you wanted to really turn it fast to earn the sale. But that, again, will make less on your end. Um, so eBay is a great resource, but it's going to require a lot of work. It's going to require money. It's going to require trust building. You're going to have to maybe even invest in the appraisals and laboratories. If laboratories, the lab reports. If you're going to do that, and um, some of those things could cost several hundreds of dollars. So if you're prepared to do that, if you have diamonds, of course. I would say that's almost an absolute necessity. So when you're looking at one carat diamonds and your investment uh, is is in the thousands and thousands of dollars, when you look at a few hundred dollars, it's, it's not, not that great of a difference, of course. It just depends on what you can sell it for. So when you sell on eBay, what are you going to have to think about? Of course, you may have a return. And uh, if you have that return, you're going to need to be able to refund those fees back to the buyer. Or what if you have a serious negative, such as a chargeback? You have a shipping issue. You have a um, person says they don't receive it. You know they've received it. There's a whole argument that goes back and forth. And PayPal finds in their favor. Then you're out your monies and you're out your jewelry. So you have these chargeback situations. So you always, always want to make sure you follow PayPal's policy for shipping, receiving, returning, and communicating. That's PayPal and eBay communicating with your buyer. You want to dot all your I's and cross all your T's to make sure you don't have any chargeback situations. So what I did is, as part of preparation for this show is, is I did a little bit of research and I wanted to make sure that what I was talking about, even though it was my past experience, 
what you should be able to expect you can sell something for. And the problem with eBay is eBay shows auction listings and eBay also shows buy now listings. And it makes it hard to figure out what things actually sell for because you can make bids and you can offer on certain items and a, and, and a, and a seller because at this point you're a jewelry salesperson. So as a seller, you may take a lower offer on something. So you can make an offer and uh, or you can just buy it outright. You need to be able to track the items, so you you can you can actually follow items and and follow the auction bids, and uh, you can follow something uh, even with, you know as it's going through the whole process. There's software that does this for you. I've owned some of the software in the past, and it'll actually look back through. Oh man, I can't remember what, how far it'll go back, but I think it was about three to six months of eBay's history. So if you needed to sell, this was when I was doing a lot of appraisals and you wanted to see what some liquidation valuations would be in the event of a, a, a serious quick fire sale liquidation situation, but you wanted to know what it would go for at auction. And uh, you could actually see, just like the IRS wants to check if you've ever used TurboTax, they have a specific function in there, which they'll check eBay, and they'll see what eBay's closed at certain auctions on items such as shoes and toys and whatever it would be for your insurance. Well, you can do that for other fields. In in my case, I did it for diamonds and jewelry. And um, you could think that you're going to be able to sell a round one-carat diamond for a discount from a true wholesale price, and I don't mean the New York high list prices, but you will be able to sell a round, brilliant one carat diamond reasonably well. And what I mean by that is, long as it's not crazy in some funky color grade, um, and, and, I, and I don't want to say you should be able to sell it reasonably well, that doesn't make sense. I think it would be easier to sell a one carat round brilliant diamond than just about anything out there. But again, you have to really build all of that through communication and appraisal laboratory, that trust building, that time, and put it in. Um, and, and you should be able to sell this easier than just about anything else, just because the market is so big on a one carat diamond. Um, what you're going to need to think about is you're going to have to pay fees. You know, so that would be subtracted out of whatever your final selling price would be, uh, whether it's negotiated through the buyer or if it's um, you, you do put it up for auction. I don't necessarily think that you should put it up for auction uh, if this is your one-time listing, but this is your call. Uh, I think that if you do a one-time listing, you, you won't get very many offers. It's going to be tough, uh, but you will have your closing fees uh, that will be small and minor as compared to, uh, I shouldn't say closing, but when your auction ends, your listing ends and you don't sell it, you will have small minor fees. But if you do sell it and you don't add in all the fluff that eBay wants you to add in, uh, you know, a one carat diamond in an estimated valuation should cost you, you know, 150 to $300 for a $6,000 sale you made. Um, just don't forget you'll have shipping time and fees and, and are you going to pay them or is the buyer going to pay them? Um, and just make sure, and I, and I want to go back to that chargeback issue, just make sure you ship it within PayPal's policy uh, to get paid by PayPal. Otherwise, again, you can you might have some issues with those chargebacks. And uh, make sure you uh, you follow any communication you have with PayPal about this purchase. And if you have a, an anomaly purchase where it's high dollar value, like what we're talking about here, they may actually put a hold on your account until the till the recipient of the item approves or, or actually says they've received it. And they may even want to have a communication with the recipient you sold to. At one time I did a, um, uh, I had a, a rather large uh, transaction uh, go through PayPal. It was actually a, f- a $50,000 transaction that went through PayPal and uh, they held the, uh, uh, the, the monies in their account for about two weeks as I had to go back and forth talking with their security division and they had to make sure that everything was on the up and up 
and they communicated with the recipient of, of the ring that I had worked out. And even after they communicated with him, they still wanted to make sure they sat on the money for a little while. So you, you have to make sure you've understood that all these things still may take that first thing, which is time, and it may take that money to be able to make that sale come to be. It's just going to be work because right now you're a jewelry salesperson. So the other thing that you can do is you can go ahead and list something on Craigslist, which you know Craigslist is free, but Craigslist is almost going to mirror the whole situation you're going to have to build on eBay, which again is time. It's going to be money. And what I mean by money is you're going to need to be able to build yourself a listing that is going to be visible enough, right? Because there's so much just visual uh, garbage on Craigslist, just with the the text and and all sorts of, uh, it's just a smattering of things that they put on there. And uh, you're going to need to build something that's a little bit more classy, (coughs) excuse me, have a little bit more pizzazz to it, and you're going to still need to communicate. You're going to need to make sure you have your appraisal, your laboratory, I still want to say laboratory, your laboratory, I said it again, your lab report, Um, it's going to still be a hard sale. Because, of course, you're a brand new jewelry salesperson. You don't have a storefront. You uh, don't have the uh, returnability uh, or or any sort of um, founding for them to make sure that you are who you are and you're talking about what you're talking about. All right, so you've gone through all those things and you've got it listed. You've put it up. You've got a great site or, or a great page on Craigslist for your item. Now you need to figure out where you're going to meet. Are you going to meet at your house? Or are you going to meet at a bank? Are you going to meet at a library? Where, I mean, I'm, I'm throwing things out there. Where are you going to meet? Because you don't necessarily want this person to come to your house. You don't know who they are. And they you have something of high value, right? And you don't always necessarily want to put yourself in a situation. Remember, I want a win-win situation, not a win-potential-lose situation. You don't ever want anybody questionable coming over to your house when you have something of such great value, and then they know where you live, right? I, I just don't feel comfortable with even talking about that. It just it just gives me the, the, the creeps a little bit. So once you decide upon where you're going to meet, You still have to be able to be the salesperson. You still have to have your ability to garner their trust. Or again, you're going to need to tip the risk balance in their favor, that's the favor of the buyer, in order to earn the sale. And that means you make a little bit less and your goal is to make more. So once once you've done that, then you have to decide upon how you're going to get paid. And when you're talking about garner someone's trust, once you say, I'm only going to take cash, that obviously throws a red flag for most people. And you're talking about a high value item and they don't know you. So that might be a little bit harder. Well, then maybe you need to meet at a bank and then you can do a transaction there. Um, in any case, it's still going to be a tough sale, just not as tough as eBay. And if you do do Craigslist, I have always found that Craigslist returns a lower amount than eBay does, but Craigslist is free. So for our third avenue, it would be um, uh, friends, and then of course fourth would be family, but selling to your friends may return better than any situation, but you're going to have to sell the item, convince them, they may have an idea of what you paid for it, they're still going to want to, if that's if they do want to buy it, they'll still buy it, but they're going to get a discount as compared to the original purchase price. And it really depends upon the willingness of the friend. And you don't want to ruin a friendship uh, in order to make a sale. And sometimes you may put somebody in a situation where they feel uncomfortable and they want to help you out. And all you want to do is just sell something. You don't ever want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. And then you have family. And family may be also willing to buy um, or keep an item in the family, right? So a brother or a sister who inherited something may be willing to cash somebody out uh, if that was what was deemed through a will or something that um, that has a specific value uh, for history, emotionally, uh, uh, for that person that you don't have, and they be, may be willing to buy that from you. So you may be able to get a very good return from a family member. So here's the fifth, and the fifth is 
probably the most common that you think about, and that's businesses that buy, sell, or auction. And you have liquidators, you have estate dealers, you have jewelers, and some of these kind of blend together. Uh, you have auction houses, and some jewelers do a little bit of both. The, the jewelers can be auction houses, they could be estate dealers, and they could be liquidators, and I've done all of those. So you, you have these businesses, and they're set up, and they specialize in buying, and, uh, and, and those places will usually, not always, be a source for immediate liquidation. So you'll, you'll get the quickest return in these situations. And, and sometimes the quick return may be equal to what you would have been able to sell it for on eBay um, and or Craigslist because Craigslist returns less, but eBay, you may have gotten more, but then you have all your fees and you have all your time. Uh, so an, an immediate liquidation besides the auction house your jewelers and estate dealers and liquidators may be able to pay you just as much. Uh, it just feels like it's less because you haven't already tried to become that salesperson and put in all those other things you need to put in to be able to sell it. So a little bit of history. Besides working for two diamond polishing facilities, I've had the pleasure of working on liquidations and estates with a focus on diamonds uh, for, for since probably... Uh, I got to think back here, probably about 1985, uh, I've been doing estate liquidations and buys, and uh, I've met just about every person possible, type of person, uh, at one time or another, wanting to sell diamonds and gemstones or other precious collectibles. And here's what I want you to think about. I want you to do business with someone who's completely, completely transparent. I have the ability, and so does any, anyone else in the business, I have the ability to be able to calculate for standard jewelry items. When I say standard for me, it's not necessarily standard or, or reasonable for you to have all of these variables and, and calculations at your fingertips. But for me, I have the ability to, where if you bring me a diamond, I can just punch it in. I can key it in and I can figure this is what I can sell it for and this is what I'm going to make if I sell it for this, right? So if I sell it for this, I can make this much because of my difference in what I would be able to buy it from you and what I can sell it for. And I always suggest that you do business with a store in your town, somebody you can work with that does the same thing. I think it's fair for that person to be totally transparent to include the estimation, or I should say the difference from what they would pay you and what they will make. If they're not willing to share that information, you don't have that high degree of transparency. And I think it's going to work both ways because in a minute, we're going to talk about what I think you should do. So they should be able to include an estimation and they should be able to show you the difference between what they're willing to pay for it and what they can sell it for. And I think it's possible in almost all situations um, to do this on the spot or, or within a reasonable amount of time. Maybe there's some calculations you have to do on a single item. And it may take, you know, it could be immediate or it could be 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, somewhere in there. Uh, it shouldn't be very, very long at all unless you have something crazy. If you have something crazy, do not... I, I should say not not do not, but don't feel uncomfortable with the fact that if you have something so unique, and remember my specialty is diamonds, but if you come to me and you have a five carat treated emerald cut diamond that's internally flawless, and this is a true story, if you come to me and you bring me a five carat internally flawless treated, little side note, you can actually treat a diamond and you can use, a, they call it a radiation. They put it in a nuclear reactor and they, I guess they send the, the radiation through it and it actually changes the color of the diamond. In this case, it was a fancy vivid yellow. And uh, this diamond was brought to me and brought to me in a situation where the person wanted to have an immediate realization of cash. And I had to explain to them that with a diamond of this type, the market is so extremely small on it. And whenever you sort of narrow down your market, 
so much so that only you would be interested in it, it becomes a hard sell. And in a case like this, it took a little bit of research uh, for me, and it took me a few days, and I finally gave uh, you know gave a, a fair estimate on this, and I was able to buy and then uh, resell this this uh, this diamond. But it wasn't something I could do right on the spot. So if you bring something that's crazy, don't expect they can do it right away, but expect it to be done within a reasonable amount of time, and also urge that same level of transparency. What what could they sell it for? I, of course, disclosed what I could sell it for, what I needed to buy it for, and the seller was reasonable and they accepted the offer. You don't ever want to take advantage of anyone and you don't ever want to have anyone take advantage of you. So you want to be completely transparent and they need to be completely transparent. Um, You need to realize that when you go into one of these places, whether it's a liquidator, an estate dealer, a jeweler, or an auction house. Now, an auction house, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but you need to realize they have to think about how fast they can sell it for. Is it going to be today? Is it going to be next week? Is it going to be next year? Um, How quick you can turn it is going to give them the ability to pay more for it. If they're able to sell it faster, they can have a higher... Uh, they can pay out more for it because they're no, they know their, their turn is going to be immediate. You just need to figure out how great the difference is going to be for that resale. And that's going to be dependent upon all the way back to the beginning, whether or not you have something that's contemporary, right? So if it's just contemporary, it doesn't always resale at a higher rate. Or if, it, if it's something with provenance, or is it something of a high brand? All those things are going to be in the mix on how easy it is for them to sell. The wider the market is, the easier it is to sell. But once you narrow the market on an item that has little or no provenance, it becomes a lot harder. And again, remember, you're not selling a new item. Once it left the store, it be, it sold, right? It became sold and it's no longer new, even if you never wore it. So they may be looking at it in several different ways. Can they take this piece? And this is, you know, you always take the emotional component out and you want to explain that when you're looking at something and you want to get the money back out of it, you can't always look at the the emotional history involved or the time even that the jeweler put in or the craftsperson put in to make it. So you have to be able to take that component out. So that's what's going through this person's head. And you want to make sure that that you understand that. They're looking at it in such a clinical way. They have to be able to calculate this. And it's it's not um, not something that, that is a negative it's just something that is a reality about the turn. So if you have a new item, a contemporary item, it's usually perceived as a negative, right? Even if there's no negative, even if you walk in a store today and you walk right out and it's brand new, new in box, never worn. When it's sold in that, that estate dealer situation, so it's in their store, you walk into the store and they have the case filled with jewelry. If it's a contemporary item, even if there's no negative situation at all, the situation is assumed to be negative, right? That's the sad portion. It's assumed to be negative and therefore it's kind of hard, or I should say it's harder for a bride-to-be, we're talking about an engagement diamond right now, right? A bride-to-be to be excited about a ring that was purchased in an estate store that's new and it may have been attached to a negative situation. But the funny thing happens the other direction if you get old enough, right? So if you go all the way out the other direction, so you're talking about a contemporary ring that has no history at all and it's it's in the case because we decided we didn't want it. And uh, if you go really old, right, earlier part of the last century, and you have these fantastic filigree or die struck or hand carved estate rings, the assumption is always magical. The assumption is, is I wonder who owned this. I wonder what person, what did they do? Uh, it, it's almost a magical moment is a memory is made about this old piece of jewelry. And it may actually garner more just because of that sort of mystery and romance about it. So contemporary items, 
generally will have a greater reduction on their value. Uh, they can, uh, a lot of cases, they'll be looked at as far as a, a, a liquidation where they could be dismantled, everything separated out, and what they could sell it for that way because it may be hard to sell it. The same thing would be true, or I should say, I want to add this, not the same thing. I want to add the fact that if you're listening and you have a piece of jewelry that you had custom made just for you and the item was carved out of wax and designed on paper and it was it's just an incredible ring, you love it, but you decide you don't want it anymore, all that value and that, I should say all that money you put into creating that ring, uh, all that labor that you paid for in creating it, um, it won't return. And I, and I guess I should have said this in the beginning. I firmly believe that engagement rings and jewelry is, is, is used exclusively to memorialize those special moments. So it is an investment. It's an investment in, in those moments for creating and keeping those memories. It's an investment in the relationship for that engagement ring to be given, right? It's, it's, it's his act of slaying the dragon, right? And he gives the ring to his bride-to-be. There's an emotional investment along with that little financial investment. It, it is hard to swallow that pill sometimes. And it, but it's an emotional investment. Jewelry is an investment. But that's the only way emotionally, memorializing those moments, making that moment special. It's not. Jewelry has never been. And I'm sorry if you go into a store where they say the jewelry is an investment. The gold is an investment. The diamond is an investment. We'll go back full circle to the uh, show I had just about a week ago where I talked about where not to buy when they start using terms that talk about things as a financial investment, you need to walk out the door because you'd never get the return on anything that has that labor involved in it. Now, you may, and I don't think gold is an investment either unless you could have bought it you know, during the early 90s and seen how it's just jumped up right now, um, but things like that are, are preservers of our dollar, but not usually an investment to where we can turn it. We, we, we can't day trade in, in, in precious metals or diamonds for that matter. There's no market at all for a, a diamond investing. So anytime someone says it's a financial investment, you want to walk out the door. It is an emotional investment. It is, there is that investment. And again, I would say there's nothing better in the world. I firmly believe this. Jewelry is used as an investment to memorialize our special moments. And that, that's all I want to say. But when we need to resell it, it almost acts uh, in some cases as a negative for that next person in line. That doesn't make any difference. You still want to sell it and you want to make the most you positive, the most you absolutely can. So you need to think about how much time you want to put in, how much time the jeweler or liquidator or estate dealer or in the case of an auction house, how much effort and time they're going to put in. And the longer they're willing to work with it, a lot of times it can realize a bit more. Um, so you want to make sure that, uh, that you work with somebody who's willing to give you the time, willing to be completely transparent, and willing to give you uh, all the details in every bit of how they're going to work with you, what to expect in communication. Maybe you work with a, a, an estate dealer or jeweler that takes it in on consignment. And that usually can take a, a three month to a year uh, a situation to where you have something in a case and they're going to sell it for you. And usually they'll make a commission on the item. A lot of times I had people who would call around from store to store and they would find out what kind of commission rates that people make on uh, selling consignment jewelry, you know, what, what a, a jewelry store would take. And uh, a lot of times they'll end up with these stores that will take a lower commission. But I want to make sure you, you think about this. If you're, if you're going to work with a, a store that sells on consignment, it may be beneficial to work with the, high, the store that sells for a higher level of commission because it might turn faster because their incentive is greater. 
You have to think about the fact that they own their own jewelry. And what are they going to sell first? Are they going to sell your ring where they don't have any financial investment at all? Remember, their money is out of the bank. And they need to have cash flow and they need to have some reserves in the bank. And if they just went to a show and they bought all this jewelry and this jewelry is coming in from this great designer that they just did business with, they need to sell that jewelry they own to put that money back in the bank. When they sell your item, it takes more money back out. They got to give most of that money back to you and they only get a small piece of that pie. So you have to, I should say not have to, I want you to think about that when you're doing business with somebody on consignment. The less commission they make, the less incentivized they may be. And that piece may sit there till the next ice age. It just won't sell because they don't have the incentive to sell it. It doesn't matter to them whether it does or does not. And I I am a firm believer that uh, you you do businesses with stores that have that personality, enthusiasm, and integrity. I'm a firm believer that you should do business with stores that do pay their people on commission. And uh, I think that they'll try harder and they want to serve the customer. Uh, They want to take care of the customer. You always do business with a store that has a liberal return policy to make sure those two things go together. You have a liberal return policy. They almost always, and I I say almost always, they should always act with the best interest at heart, and they should always act with a win-win situation. So they're on commission. They're paid when they sell your piece. There is a, a, a return situation. You need, to, you need to know that if you do business with a store that does consignment or memorandum uh, consignment for you, that there may be a return window. How many days does the buyer have before they can bring it back? Is it a final sale? Uh, you, you need to know these things before you leave it. How long will it take before you get paid? You know, is it an immediate payment? Once it goes out the door, am I going to get paid right away? Or am I going to have to wait seven days or 14 days or 30 days uh, before I get paid? Have these conversations if you're going to leave an item in store on consignment. So now you may have a, a, an item that uh, that is in high demand, is is easily recognized anywhere, and you're you're going to go out and you're going to visit with your store. You have all these all these pluses going for you. So whether you have a contemporary item that's just generic uh, with no information, or you have an item that is a high demand item, widely recognized, and has a, it's a brand. You still need to do a little bit of research, and then. Find that business you're going to, the person or that individual you're going to do business with that uh, will provide you with a fair win-win situation. And you already heard me talk about the uh, returnability, uh, liberal return policy, uh, the uh, the commission issue, uh, which is a positive in my case. But before you go out and visit with anybody, you want to have a checklist. So what are you going to want to bring? You're going to want to bring your appraisal. Remember, your appraisal is not for selling. It's for insurance replacement, but it's going to have internal and external characteristics detailing whatever it is you're selling. If it's a diamond, it's going to give the description of the diamond. If it's a diamond in a ring, it's going to give the description of the diamond that's in the ring. And it may reference the second item you're going to want to bring, uh, which is your report, right? Your your laboratory report for your diamond. So you'll want to bring that. You'll also might even want to bring your receipt because you're going to want to bring all that history. And you want to be as transparent as you're asking the person you're doing business with. The more transparent you are, remember, you're the salesperson right now. They're the buyer. So the more transparent you are, the easier it is going to be for them to part with some of their money to be able to pay you out and then bring your item in and then they'll own your item. And then hopefully for them, they will be able to sell it and make a little bit of money because that's that's the win-win for both parties. So you want to bring your appraisal, you want to bring your report, you want to bring your receipt, any other, we're talking about historical documentation for items of provenance, you want to bring those with you. If you want to be able to do business on the spot and uh, and 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 be able to turn that item, you want to bring anything detailing any provenance. Of course, uh, auction guides or anything like that. So now I'm going the extreme. Most people listening to this won't have anything like that. But if you did have it, you'd want to bring the documentation. You may also want to bring your original box if it's a branded item. Let's say it's a Cartier. 
Let's say it's a branded uh, uh, round brilliant diamond. You want to bring all the packaging, any of the certifications, any of the laboratory reports, all of that makes a difference. There are all sorts of branded diamonds in the market today, and you will be able to sell them easier if you have that original information, that box, that certification, all of those details before you visit with the store. If you have to come back, it, 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 you're, you're, you have to remember, you're the salesperson. So when you got to come back, you may have a green light go when you're there, but by the time you get back there, they're not interested. Remember, it's about money in the bank. If they spend all the money they have in the bank, and you come on the day where they're waiting to get the, the return on their investment for everything else they've bought, it may be the wrong day and you may need to sell it today. So come with everything, the original box, all of that. Now you also may want to bring the original bag. When I was dealing with estate, older estate jewelry, and we were doing estate deals, I can't tell you how many times we sold estate jewelry based upon all those little accessories that went with everything. So we had the box, we had the bags, we had all those things that went with it. And I got to tell you, that jazzed a lot of people. So they were willing to pay more for something that had the original, even if it was worn, right? You look at these boxes as they open up on the hinge and that little edging on it's all frayed and worn up. But the stamp of the original jewelry store that that uh, that uh, sold the item was on the inside. It had a date. Maybe the street that it was on was from your local town and that street's no longer there. Or maybe it was from a, an, an original historical building and uh, that building is still there, but maybe it's a restaurant now. But you know, 100 years ago, it was a jewelry store. All those things make a huge difference. Bring those with you. So any items of provenance, make sure that you know that those items will bring your best realization. Items without provenance will be helped by reducing the amount of time and effort you and the person that uh, you choose to do business with. Um, so you need to really dig into whom you're working with. The more information you're able to give, the less risk involved uh, in that buyer's purchase, returning you a better amount. So anytime the risk situation is flipped one way or the other, and you want it to be a win-win, you want the risk to be shared in the middle, right? So there's always going to be a certain situation. Well, I shouldn't say always. If you put yourself in the situation to where all the risk is in the buyer's side, they're not going to want to pay as much for it. So share your information and then ask for complete transparency when you're dealing with businesses. Now, auctions, uh, as a side note, if you have something that's seriously, uh, I should say, it's of serious value or size, I mean, you can take anything to auction, but are you really going to waste your time with the commission fee and the time it takes for an auction house? Some people are interested in that. Some people are just jazzed by the fact that they sold something at auction. Um, but generally, that would be for items that would have some sort of brand recognition. They have a certain size ability about them. You know, you're talking about a five-carat diamond or something, although I've seen smaller diamonds sold. It, it tends to be something a little bit more unique. And auction houses, and they're all around the country, auction houses are great places you can go to, but you're going to require the same things. And uh, you're going to want to go there, and they may want to charge you a fee for their appraisal. They're going to charge you a fee for the listing. They're, they're generally going to charge you a fee for, uh, or I should say a commission. And then you have uh, sometimes no guarantee that the item is going to sell. So um, auction houses are a great source. You still got to do a little bit of work. Liquidators, estate dealers, and jewelers will tend to do immediate liquidations with a, a, with, with a little side note in the consignments. So you have eBay, time, money, trust building, appraisals, lab reports, lots and lots of communication. How are you going to pay? Usually PayPal. Then you have Craigslist, which circular all the way back around. Same thing, time, money, trust building, appraisal, laboratory. There it goes again. Lab report, uh, lots of communication. Friends and family, you don't want to leverage that too much because you don't want to have a negative situation with that friends or family, but that may be where you're going to get your best return. Businesses that buy or sell, liquidations, estate dealers. 
jewelers or auction houses, those places are going to be able to, in most cases, give you, well, not the auction houses, but give you an immediate liquidation. And uh, again, you want to protect yourself. You're the salesperson, though. You want to protect yourself and demand transparency, honesty, efficacy, that integrity. So again, personality, enthusiasm, and integrity, all of that in that person you're, you're selling to, even though you should also have that when you're the salesperson. And uh, I think those are all your options, except for, I'm going to add number six. That is, you don't need to sell. So at any point in time, you decide you do not want to sell something, you can always hold on to it. And maybe you wait for a later date. So it, it, um, you just think about those kinds of things when you're going into needing to sell your jewelry. Um, if you give the most information and demand transparency, you'll be protected, get a good realization on your return. So this ends this broadcast and, uh, on what do you do if you want to sell. And I hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast, the information I've given you. If you have any other questions or you want more information on diamond and estate liquidations, you can call me at 803-792-1326. If you need to liquidate and have no options in your town, give me a call. I might have a referral for you. I might be able to help you out myself. But in most cases, I try to refer you out to other individuals in those areas. I've done business with a lot of jewelers around the country. And there are some absolute stars out there. And I'm almost positive that if you go out there, shake some hands, you'll find some people too. So this ends this show. And uh, we'll look forward to what we come to next week. And I know I'm still working on these, uh, this show, uh, talking about all the different performance tools for diamonds. And that should come out probably, probably in the next month or so. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, that's one of those things when we're talking about beauty, purity, and size that really, really excites me. So, all right. Uh, thanks for listening to the Diamond Answer Man Show, episode number nine. <music>